Hello, welcome to Utopia Be Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined by David Hartrick, despite some technical issues at my end. How's it going, Dave? Yes, all good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. I see you turned your camera off as well, completely unnecessarily. Did you, did you just feel weird being the only one that you could see? Yes, yeah, if I'm brutally honest with you. It's a bit weird just recording a podcast staring at your own face. Well, it's how I do it every time. I've still got a mirror up. Um, Huddersfield Town have beaten Fulham. We didn't see that coming, really, did we? Well, we didn't see it coming, but I think we were both quite keen in various pieces and, you know, the pod we did to say there there was a chance. It wasn't like mm. a, a, you know, a complete hopeless case going down there. And yeah, it was a triumph of organisation more than anything else, I think. Yeah, it's not that, I mean, we said going into it and we were sort of trying to temper expectations not because we thought it was mission impossible for town or anything we said it's not you know it's not that Fulham are impossible to beat it's that if they play well they can beat practically anyone in this division and I don't think Fulham actually played badly on the day but Huddersfield Town were more than a match for them it was Mm. pretty much a perfect away performance every player did their jobs superbly they they kept a very very dangerous attack out I saw someone tweet it may have been HCFC stats, though, so if it if or so if it wasn't, then apologies. But uh, we'll give them the credit for it. That's the third lowest XG that Fulham have managed in a game this season. So I mean, it, we need to start with the defence really, because defensively it was it was really really good. It was. I think Fulham had twenty shots total, but their XG was I think point nine six. Towns was point nine nine, um, which shows they were restricted to. The quality of those chances was was pretty poor all in. There was a lot of shots from distance, um, more than anything. And yeah, that that back line, I think you really have to go through them one by one and you have to start with Lee Nichols because the way he organises that back four, we talked about him being a proactive keeper, but the, the way he works in sync... So when he's coming, you know, he's he, he's calling at the right time. The defenders are, are working perfectly with him. And his distribution, he's now getting a lot better with that mm. as well. Um, I thought he was he was excellent. And then you sort of move to the defenders. But yeah, Nichols pulled off a couple of... The last couple of games, he's also finally got those couple of really eye-catching saves as well. Because I think the one thing we'd both said, I don't think we've, I don't know if we'd said it on the pod but we've definitely had off-pod discussions about it, is he's just a really sort of solidly brilliant keeper, but we were struggling to name that, like, showpiece save that it pulled off, you know, that that real thing you look back, okay, that's saved a point there, that's that's definitely made a huge difference. And he pulls off the one against Sheffield United where he pushes it onto the post and then clears the ball. And then there was two, wasn't there, in the game that I thought were, were really, really good. But the one from the header in particular, where he gets yeah. down low to his right, was just, just a great save, wasn't it? His positioning's there is great because he's standing just behind his goal line as Mitrovic meets it, which means that he can then sort of dive slightly forward as, as keepers naturally do. If you ever, you obviously you watch a, play, a keeper try and save a penalty, they always move forward as the first step, and he, he put himself in a good place to make that save from Mitrovic. The other one was from Carvalho, just outside the box, wasn't it? It was really, really mm. well placed towards the bottom corner. But yeah. you're right. I mean, you you wrote a piece last week, Dave, in my absence, talking going through some of his stats and pointing out that pretty much aware of he look he's he's 
probably the the best goalkeeper. Well, he is the best goalkeeper in the championship. He's, he's most rounded. Yeah, yeah, most rounded by it. But because he he may not be number one on every single metric, but he's like top three across everything. And on a couple of them, like the people who are beating him have played less than half the football, which obviously yeah. statistically gives them a huge advantage with certain things. So yeah, he's the, he's the most rounded keeper in the division by you know like Fulham's keeper Rodak. I think is. He is a brilliant keeper, you know, and on his day, he is a colossus. But he is sort of exceptional a few things, and he's got a few weak areas where I think with Nichols, some may disagree, but I don't think he's exceptional at anything, but he's just very, very good at every single area. You know, he's just a really complete, solid, rounded goalkeeper. And I would much rather have that, if I'm brutally honest, than another type. Yeah, and then moving on to right-back Ollie Turton. I've written a piece about him this morning just saying he sort of typifies exactly why Huddersfield Town are doing so well this season because he came in as a summer signing was probably the most underwhelming of the summer signings no disrespect to him but back up right back is is not going to set pulses racing and when he first started the season obviously Pippa had the injury and and Turton ended up playing more than we expected and he didn't do great at first he he did he did look like a player who'd never played championship football before which is what he is but as the season's gone on he's just got better and better and you know he's made that place his he can play multiple positions as we've seen he's played center back on occasion and we praised him last month for his his versatility and how much tactical flexibility he gives to Carlos Corbran but at the moment just playing in his favored position at right back he he looks a really really competent option oh yeah absolutely I mean he he <laughs> he keeps having his best game in a town shirt doesn't he yeah that's the thing that's yeah. that's his form since Christmas I think has just been an upward curve and yeah I think the thing against Fulham I think the game suited him because mm. he, as you said he was in a more traditional role you know I, I don't think he's a wing back and I don't think he thinks he's a wing back either Playing on the right of a three, I think he's done absolutely fine as well. He's you know? better than, in the air than you would think he would be. Yeah, he? he is. He is. But I thought what was what was key really was that, like I mentioned this on extra time. So sorry if people have heard that, and I'm I'm doubling a point up here. But Town's usual out ball has been basically to to sort of work the ball left and then hit the diagonal right to Sorber Thomas ahead of Turton. So often when he's had the ball in sort of pressure situations, he's, you can't go across your goal. So he's often just had to sort of hit and hope really. He was licensed a little bit more to carry the ball and it was interesting that him and Toffolo, rather than Town trying to hit the diagonal and, and essentially just turn possession over straight away, both of them had a lot more license to try and beat a man and carry and just relieve yes. the pressure by breaking a line, by holding on to the ball. I think and everyone... I both I think- I, th- I think everyone except you're right. I, th- I think especially the fullbacks, but I think everyone mm. except basically the centre backs and Jonathan Hogg were given that instruction. It was really apparent from the mm. first minute. It was don't try and make the space by with with by by uh, with the passes. Try and do it with by running with the ball. You have to. Mm. And Turton, I thought, really flourished with that. I, th- I you know, he looked. We'll come to Toffolo, who was really good, but like Turton just looked so much more comfortable being able to sort of, you know, look for a little give and go or take his man on or he, he just looked really, really good. He came up with a, a really brilliant block first half as well. Yeah. It was just a very solid 
you know, like I know you gave him an eight out of ten in the ratings, and we sort of we had a little bit of debate on WhatsApp about it. It was really it was like an eight point five, wasn't it? Yeah, we did. Hi- <laughs> it's one of did... them you want half marks for, but we don't do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you mentioned that tackle, the one on Mitrovic, wasn't it? Where Mitrovic took a took a touch. It was a really, really good touch. Sort of neither of the centre backs were expecting it. He just pushed himself into the box, similar in a similar kind of way to we see Dwayne Holmes do sometimes. And he he just touched it into the box and raced onto it. Real change of pace on him. It's why he's so dangerous. And you thought, oh, they're in here, and and he doesn't miss those really. But there comes Ollie Turton across, and not only was it a brilliant inch perfect tackle, great timing, great reading but if it hadn't hit Tom Lees in the face it would have would have cleared the ball as well it was a really really mm. great challenge but he also played a big part uh, another sort of feature is you mentioned they weren't looking for the diagonals they were trying to carry the ball they're also playing a few more balls up the touchline I, I noticed that that on the right Sorber Thomas was looking for those runs and Turton was looking to find them on the left we were seeing more of something we saw a lot of last season but haven't seen much this year where you've got those the three on the left side all linking up together with with on this occasion Toffolo Holmes and O'Brien who played as a centre forward um, and it was one of those balls forward from Turton on the right where he, he got the ball square ball from Matty Pearson he was sort of parallel with the edge of the box and he was under the under pressure from from Deco Dover Reed and he looked up saw Thomas was making a run and just put it over the top for him and that's what started the move that set town on the way to the opening goal really really good stuff from Ollie Turton and you know I I thought when we did the power rankings which is our estimation of Carlos Corbrand's thoughts the first 11 in that is always the top 11 and we put I put Ollie Turton as 11 in the last one ahead of Pippa and it wasn't just uh, on a well Pippa's not fully fit grounds that I did that it was actually on form I think that for for big games he seems to like having Ollie Turton in there I know Pippa was was injured on this occasion but and and has been sort of in and out of the side but I think Turton has shown that in big games he can he can really do a job played against West Brom as well played against Nottingham Forest he's uh, a very important player on this side now managers have these players don't they you know like Alex Ferguson it was famously Jason Park who was always employed in the sort of really big games to do specific jobs and they they can be you know slightly up and down because there are games that will pass them by because they do sort of revel in having a highly specific role which is what I think Turton had really you know he had quite a specific set of instructions over what he needed to do but yeah we should probably talk about the centre backs as well though now because <laughs> yeah. we've got we were joking that we might not have much to talk about before this pod because you, it's difficult when you're just saying everything is good. But I've noticed we've already clocked <laughs> up about 12 minutes, no problem whatsoever. But yeah, I, I know Matty Pearson got man of the match, but I, I think—I mean, I don't know how anybody separated him because I thought Tom Lees was magnificent <laughs> as well. People know I'm a like massive fan of Tom Lees at this point, but they were just—they were superb. And that little triangle, Nichols. Lee's Pearson uh, you know like, like so much of town's good work has been done with a three at the back but mm-hmm. now they've got this that when they play a four they've got that little triumvirate there that is just they just work in complete tandem yeah I, I gave Pearson a slightly higher mark just because he made one or two last ditch tackles but as we, always with Tom Lee's there's an argument that he doesn't tend to put himself in positions where he has to make last ditch tackles um but no i thought both of them had a had an excellent game i mean just just defensively not just in the in their own box but across the whole pitch town just defended 
brilliantly from from front line to to back and credit to everyone for that but obviously there are going to be times when you do need those last second interventions and uh, in fact I'll say all three centre-backs because Naby Sarr came on with five minutes to go Mm. and and was all over the place in a good way uh, on on this occasion getting himself in front of everything getting up and and nodding everything away but no that they were they were excellent I mean when you look at the highlights I was I watched them again this morning the extended highlights and was a bit surprised. Well, not surprised, but I'd forgotten just how many times Fulham flashed it across the face of goal and just didn't have anyone on the end of it. And, you know, you can look at that and say, well, perhaps they deserve more out of the game. You know, those are those are moments where nothing get reg- gets registered on the XG, but it's still a threatening moment. But the fact that they did keep doing that and weren't getting anything on it, I think sort of tells you something that they weren't, Town weren't leaving men over. You know, they they weren't giving Fulham anyone clear to aim for. So they were going for those balls across the face of goal. Basically, just because they were out of other options. They didn't have men left over to, to, to get a tap in or anything like that. And, you know, you, you're not going to keep everything out of the box altogether in any game, no matter how good you are. So just just really, really good. And obviously, the two centre-backs were, were right at the heart of that. Yeah, they were. And they. I think it wasn't just their defending either. They were so quick to... Mm. Uh, essentially lay it off to the players who were tasked with breaking the lines and getting out they they just again a little bit like Turton they just enacted the plan near perfectly and yeah it was great but you should really talk about Harry Toffolo because you were you were waxing lyrical about his performance weren't you I was we've we've talked on this podcast throughout the season about how it's not like he's been really bad this season or anything but he's just been a little bit below his best he had that spell of assists in late December where he got four in a row four in four games and you know that it looked like he was on he was sort of getting back to to his old self we then saw another dip out of him I thought he was dreadful against Reading and nobody was really complaining when he was dropped against Sheffield United last week and that was sort of a question mark over the selection here is do, do you stick with Ruffles or do you go with Toffolo? Corbrand put Toffolo back in and he did that was his best performance for ages I mean the tackle that he made in the build-up to the goal because the, the we mentioned that Turton had put it over the top for Thomas He'd played it into Ward. Ward's shot was then blocked and it came back towards the halfway line and the Fulham man picked it up and Toffolo came roaring in with, a, again, another perfect sliding tackle, brilliant timing that pushed the ball out to, to Holmes and allowed them to come again and Toffolo obviously puts in the cross that's then pushed into into Ward's path for, for the goal. But Toffolo was doing that kind of thing all afternoon. The number of, of tackles he made, he wasn't leaving the back door open either as we've seen him do recently. He had... Although with special mention to Dwayne Holmes there, because when Toffolo did get forward, Holmes made absolutely sure that he was getting back and, and providing cover and, and, you know, making sure that, trying to make sure Fulham didn't get in behind there. I just thought that was easily Toffolo's best performance of the season. He was really, really good. Yeah, it, it was his best performance, I think, in like arguably over a year, like you say. And he, he just looked back to be doing Harry Toffolo things. I think it's no surprise it comes when Towner in a four. I, I do think he's more comfortable yeah, playing yeah. that way. Um, and I think he just... He looked up for that game in a way that he hasn't for a while. There was yeah, just something definitely. different so in his it different in his approach to that game and the when he snapped into that tackle for the uh for the goal, that was like 
you know that was sort of vintage Harry Toffolo. That was that was like him at his very very best, really. And it was just, I I think I think with Toff, like you say, the as you've eloquently explained, the problem is you judge him against his own standards, and often Toffolo and O'Brien were the two players who played really really well in what was a, a bad Town team in the second half of last season. So you end up, uh, yeah, it's it, as you said, it's not like he's been bad, but that was uh, an exceptional performance. And like you say, we don't do half marks, but that was a 9.5, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have, if you made me pick a man of the match, I would have been tempted to go for him. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, between him and Pearson for me. But I mean, with him, do you think the contract situation might be playing on his mind a bit i mean yes yeah i i sort of yeah. think so too because i mean <laughs> i do phil hodgkinson mentioned in september that they'd open talks and same with Coroma. we're now in february and we've heard nothing about it he was asked about q a in november at the end of november and he said then he wanted it sorted out there's obviously it seems like there's a gap between in the in the negotiations there things seem to have stalled a bit but <laughs> I think those things can weigh on a on a player's mind, can't they? As much as they try not to let it. Yeah, and I, you know, like you saw it, you you do see it with players, and I think you can get trapped into forgetting that players are human beings. I don't think any player makes a conscious decision or anything like that. It's just well, some do, but it, so yeah, <laughs> but not some in this do. Case. There's no, there's no denying that. But you know, Harry Soflo is is he's just not that type of person he's just not built like that and I think it just mentally it just does shift something it does change something and I think you know who who knows what the future holds really but I do I do I I think a lot of you get some players who are more conscious of the fact it's quite a short career and Mm -hmm. you know they want to make as much money as they can in the shortest possible time because it, it could be over at 34 35 years old you know 37 38 if you're lucky etc other players just literally live from game to game don't they so I mean neither of us know Harry Toffolo neither of us know what his personality is like but he has said he's keen to try and get it sorted like you said at the Q&A and everything else who knows really but all you can do is just really look at that performance and say okay let's get that (laughs) repeated four or five times because he was just metronomic in his quality for sort of 18 months over on the left hand side of 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 town side he hasn't been (laughs) he hasn't been this season so even he doesn't have to be a 9.5 every week he's just got to go back to being a 7.5 yeah yeah which is is where he was yeah i think also he's maybe had a bit of a kick up the backside by getting dropped against sheffield united as well because you know mm. we, we we commented not so long ago that being second choice left back at Huddersfield town is a bit like being second choice keeper because you know you're just not going to play unless there's there's an injury or suspension it's the first time i think ever since he's been at town that toffolo has been dropped despite being fit for a league game so it is yeah. it is for definite so i think that might have been i mean that's that's where you get the benefit of squad depth isn't it because he, he had that little reminder you're not on your place isn't untouchable here you need to win that shirt and if you don't then you know we've got someone perfectly capable who's going to step in and do a good job right behind you yeah that's that's precisely it and the squad depth is a huge thing because 
like last season, I, the, that first eleven. I'm not going to have this discussion again, but it was nowhere near as bad as some would have you believe. But there was just not enough behind it. And who knows? It's maybe not just the contract situation. I think there's lots of factors with Toffolo's yeah. form. The system. I think the change of system hurts him more than some other players on the pitch because they are different roles. Um, mm. You know, wing back and full back. And I, yeah, you know, as I said, we just we just need it to just need it to continue now because we're coming into the the real nuts and bolts of the season. Here. It's the final third now, and having a sort of seven and a half out of ten every week from Harry Toffolo is is like a big thing in terms of town's ambitions between now and the final day. You mentioned the change of system there and playing at wing back. I think it seems like. Carlos Corbran wants to play a back four now because he's played a back four basically whenever he can. Against both Sheffield United and Preston, they were sort of a hybrid system where you had a player who'd fill in. So it would be four on the ball and and, and three off it. Against Preston, it was Ollie Turton who filled in. He, he was effectively a right back on the ball in what was essentially a 4-3-3 on the ball. But then it became a 5-4-1 off it with Turton going in at centre-back. And against Sheffield United, it was Jonathan Hogg dropping in from midfield. So... Even when he's played a five or a three, it's it's really been been a four. So the big question here is where does Levi Colwell fit into this? Because we've mm. sung the praises of Matty Pearson and Tom Lees. Colwell, I think, was touch and go for this game. They obviously decided not to risk him for it. Could be back fit to play against Cardiff, potentially, as far as we're aware anyway. So how do you get him into the side? Do you put him into the side? No. <laughs> You can't you can't put in a defensive performance like that and change anything, in my humble opinion. Um, and I know different teams represent different challenges, but just to go back to the formation a little bit, the thing about uh, the three four three that they've had a lot of success with this season that it, it, every system there are benefits and there are areas where it leaves you weaker. And the problem with a three four three is it often leaves you weak in the centre. So your midfield has to do an awful lot of work. And what we've already talked about is Swansea game, commentary game, other games where Hogg gets caught playing very, very, very deep. O'Brien then has like an ocean of space that he doesn't know what to do with. So he ends up getting drawn deep and you just end up with this massive space. Uh, and a team, you know, just playing the ball around, just drawing the man out that they want to draw out and then dropping into that space behind them and attacking that way. I think with a four, and you can have that three in midfield, particularly when you've got, you know, again, we'll get on to John Russell, etc. You can get that extra midfielder in there and Huddersfield Town have a Jonathan Hogg who can drop in and effectively make it a three when they're out of possession anyway. I think you're asking a different question and that's, that's the thing that we want to see from town and when they when they weren't good through november that's the thing we were criticizing them for steve you need to be more adaptable you need to have different systems for different games and you need to be able to change the angles and it's much easier to do in a 4-3-3 it's much easier to adapt to 4-3-3 and change it around than it is a 3-4-3 so to go back to colwell I think at the moment, as mad as it sounds, because you're talking about a lad there who has got all the potential in the world, is definitely going to play international football. But you can't, you can't break up that four after a performance like that. You, you just can't because they've all played to the absolute limits of their ability. They've all carried out a tactical plan completely perfectly. If you think the four works against Cardiff, you can't just go and change it for change's sake. 
So I think Colwell has to has to come back if he's fit for Cardiff. I think he likely goes on the bench, which seems crazy, but is also a reflection of just exactly where Town are with with this this squad at the moment. And the other thing is Colwell in a two. You've got to remember he's a very young defender, and one of the things he's looked really good at this year is he, his recovery pace is really good, his physicality is really good. But the one thing he's learning, and like the only way you learn this is by playing the game, is it's decision making, isn't it? We can go back to the Peterborough equaliser and a couple of other moments where his recovery pace gets him out of problems so often that we forget there's still things he's learning and I think in a two it's a little bit more difficult if I'm honest um so I think it's the three has benefited him enormously he will play a lot before the season's end and town will play a three again before the season's end but yeah I I, I just don't think he goes straight back in in a four what's your take I agree. I, I get everything you're saying, and I agree with you. I think he's. I think his reading of the game has been better than than maybe you m- might be making out there. But I agree. There's been odd moments, as you'd expect from a young player, and I, and I know I don't think you mean to put it across that way. So just clarifying more for listeners than anything. But I feel like he probably does go back in. I think, and I'm not even really thinking about the keeping the relationship with Chelsea, although that that potentially is a factor. I think. I think he's the the classiest defender they've they've got and i think his upside is probably better than 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 the other options they've got either but i i agree that you don't really want to disrupt it the other thing is he's obviously left footed and we know that carlos wherever possible likes to have a right foot and a left footer and i think it's only because nabi sar is so clearly behind the other the other options there that that sar hasn't been starting because the start of the season if if colwell came out it was invariably sar who came in so i think my hunch would be that he does go back in, but I couldn't tell you who he went in for. I couldn't tell you whether it'd be Lees or Pearson that got dropped. And again, if I had to guess, I would say maybe drops Lees because I think he is more similar to Lees than he is to, to Pearson. So that makes helps ease the transition. But I think Lees probably has more to his game than Pearson does, although it's harder and harder to say that when Matty Pearson's putting in performances like he, like he has done. So... So do yeah. you keep the, so other side of that then? Do you keep the four three three for definite, or do you I, consider going back to the three four three? I wouldn't go to the three four three. No, I I think they've moved on from that. I think the four four two looks really good in in in. I mean, obviously it depends what the opposition are doing, what kind of style they have. But the four four two worked really well against Forest. It worked really well against Fulham. Two quite similar games. The Fulham performance was better than the Forest performance, but similar kinds of scenarios. 4-4-2 I think was against Blackburn as well for, for a lot of the game uh, and they started it even against Derby which is another team that's that's hard to break down so if they're trying to play a high pressing game it seems to be that 4-4-2 is, is what they prefer and if they're trying to be a bit more on the front foot and, and you know try to find spaces in behind and things like that 4-3-3 seems to be the better option so I think the 3-4-3 had its day and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it again but it's I don't think it's the go-to anymore I think it's probably plan b again now or plan c even so yeah uh, the problem is though it, like if you're in game it's very difficult to go to a three four three because well, it's not that bringing on a central defender for example if you if you're going to do it without dropping hogging there yeah. and i don't like hogging the back three as in a defined role i like him dropping in and on the cover but if you're going to actually change shape you want a proper defender in there well and t- it's t- not, t- i'm can not do it Turton can yeah, do it yeah yeah, 
I I don't know. I don't know. I I I'm interested to see that lineup for Cardiff because yeah, it really is a bit of a stick or twist, isn't it? It's it's. Mm. I I honestly don't know which way you go on it. I think weirdly to to go back to Colwell specifically. Weirdly, his sort of injury is like kind of convenient because it gives you a reason to to not change mm. things but yeah when he comes back you know you do have to consider the Chelsea side which was not something I was thinking about but you're exactly right because um, they they send a player out like that to play so yeah don't know big decision that one I think big decision it is whatever whatever happens the, the thing is though I think it's kind of a you can't lose <laughs> on that decision yeah. Wh- whatever you do I think you can say it's the right answer and then if it turns out it's not the right answer you can change it again so mm. you know options are good aren't they midfield so we had Sober Thomas on the right wing Dwayne Holmes on the left wing in this 4-4-2 and again both of them had really good games I think they're the best two defensive wingers town have if you're going to play a full 4-2 I think it needs to be those two they, they're both good at, on the cover uh, and both got loads of energy both can get forward and are both an absolute nuisance on and off the ball I mean your view on the penalty first of all Dave um <laughs> yeah it's not a pen is it right the thing is it's it's a very modern penalty and what I mean by that is Sober Thomas knows all he's got to do is is touch the ball. That that's yeah. all he's interested in is the penalty. So he's not trying to touch the ball in any meaningful way. He's not trying to touch the ball and follow it. He's not trying to control it. He's not trying to have a shot. He's just trying to get there so that he can take the contact for the penalty. Now some people are more uncomfortable with that than I am. To be honest, I think it's just the way modern football is and I think by the letter of the law it is a penalty but it's one of them that's slightly spirit of the game because you want players to be competing for the ball properly and competing with an eye to score in and competing with an eye just to get a penalty is doesn't really sort of fit with that but I don't really have a problem with any player buying one like that no, because it's there to be bought it's there to be bought mm-hmm. and you know he does I I think it was really really canny of him to to assess the situation so quickly um and yeah I it's not a penalty, but it's also 100% a penalty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it really, I, really is one of them. When I saw it in ground, I thought it was a penalty. And the angle I saw on the replay on my screen was the one from sort of over his right shoulder. So from behind yes. him. on the, And yes. that, was, yeah. that, was, that was the angle I saw. And I thought it was a penalty based on that. Because he gets the little push from Tim Ream first that pushes him mm. into the keeper. And on, obviously that happens very quickly. But when I watched it again this morning, saw the other angles i thought nah, i don't think it is <laughs> but hey you know they should have had three the previous week so it, uh, like the one the one thing i would say is uh, var gives that penalty by yeah. the by the letter of law it's a penalty it's mm. just i just it, as i said i just think it's a very modern decision like mm. i think even 10 years ago you likely don't necessarily get that that penalty but like if that's given against you there would be <laughs> There would be, everybody would be really hacked off with that. But if that goes for you, it's definitely a hundred percent a penalty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and nice, nice for Dwayne Holmes to to finally score one as well. We can stop doing the the jokes at Town's expense over the penalty record. Sixth time of asking, sixth different taker. Uh, 
it was a really poor penalty. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> awful. Absolutely but got away, awful. Got away with it though. Went in, so we, the, we won't be too I, picky. I, I thought it was I thought it was a poor penalty. I thought it was staggeringly poor goalkeeping. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah, overcommitted. But hey, that's why you put it down the middle is hoping that the keeper will overcommit. So I suppose in that respect, it paid off. But yeah, anyway, we won't question it too much. But I thought, yeah, I thought, as as I mentioned earlier, Holmes covering for Toffolo in particular, a couple of moments in the second half. And one of them, they got past him. And, and I think that was what led to the, might have been what led to the Mitrovic header. I'm not sure, but... Um, but that was basically the only time that they, they really beat him. He was really good. And in the middle, you had Jonathan Hogg, as, as always. He, I thought, especially second half. Normally, you see when Town had their backs against the wall, either Hogg is the problem or he's the best, their, their most important player. And it was the second one on this occasion. His his def- Everyone's defensive stats on the day were, were ridiculous, as I pointed out in five conclusions. But he was top of the list when you look at, you know, when you look at, things like clearances and blocks and interceptions and, and tackles he he topped topped the numbers uh, when you when you add them all up and really really good game for Jonathan Hogg and John Russell was was top for interceptions top for tackles you know he was he was uh he's continuing to defy our expectations of him isn't he Dave to be fair yeah um like I've had a couple of comments on social media as if as if me and you had turned around and said he's rubbish and we hate him. <laughs> That's not that wasn't it at all. It was more a case of we just want to see how he how he yes. develops and we want to see it over like five to ten games and not over ninety minutes. We're three we're, we're three games in, but I I sort of think the Barnsley game. I, I'm not writing it off or anything like that, but I think that's a very different type of game yeah. situation. Yeah, I think the game suited him because Town were on the back foot, so like he could operate in the space where he wanted to operate without worrying about getting caught too high. Um, yeah. so that that helped him enormously. But his his range of passing was excellent. His yeah. his ability to spot a pass and take it on first time to just relieve the pressure more than anything else to just just give town chance to reset by getting on the front foot is is unparalleled really in that squad there's nobody else who can do that you know not even lewis o'brien's range of passing is is able to do that part of the the reason for that is because lewis o'brien can't look for lewis o'brien with a pass <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's the big problem so yeah i you know he he played really really well again i don't <sighs> There's one or two people going a little bit over the top, I think. Um, but that's absolutely mm. fair enough. It, he's yeah. your player. Be excited, you know. Yeah. That's that, we're not we're not being the fun police. We're excited too. But <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's going to be some different challenges ahead now because I think 180 minutes of Championship football. He's probably going to come up if he gets picked to play against Cardiff. He's probably going to have come up against the first team whose analysts have properly analysed him and looked at his strengths and weaknesses. So next couple of games are going to be be very interesting, really. But hopefully he can he can just keep on this fashion. But more than anything for me, a lot of people have talked about his physicality. A lot of people have talked about his his d- defensive duties. But for me, it's that range of passing, that that ability to just play that first time ball that gets Town on the front foot far quicker than they have been, even when times were good at the start of the season. Yeah, I, I think he was good defensively. Though the thing I noticed him doing a lot in the second half was he was just a real barrier between Fulham would try to find sort of balls over the midfield, so Hogg and, and Russell would drop back to sort of you know, five yards outside the town box and Fulham would try and go over the top to to 
get through and Russell would just sort of stand there and just nod it <laughs> nod it back in the other mm-hmm. direction just just head it away he was he was really I mean obviously that's the advantage that being six foot four gives you but yeah I th- I think like when you so he was really good against Sheffield United which is a game where town yeah. played slightly on the counter-attack they were really really clever in what they did they, it was not like they played as the away side or anything like that, but they did drop a little bit of deeper, stayed tight, and they looked at their outballs and they attacked on the counter effectively. And against Fulham, again, it was a game where the lines were always going to be quite deep. What I mean is, I just I want to see him in a game, you know, where it's it Towner on the front foot and are going for it because I think that that range mm. of passing he has could be really effective. You know, we talked a lot about when Carol Iting came in about finally Town have got the player who can pass them out of trouble, etc. Have they got that all along anyway? You know, mm. and you know, for all we're saying, we weren't having a go at John Russell. And we really weren't. We were just sort of trying to temper expectations because of the opposition he'd played but I think in fairness he has you know what we would try to say was well let's see what he can do when he's against a good side rather than playing against a you know a Barnsley or a a Reading or a whoever um, but he he has played against Sheffield United and Fulham now, two of the most informed teams in the in the division, if not the most informed teams in the division uh, over the past few months, and he's done really well in in both those games. So you know, hats off to him. We can only only give him credit for that. He's he's done better than you or I sort of privately uh, thought he he might do against that quality of opposition. And and fair play to him. <laughs> I I I will say it, Steve. He has played better in the first team than me and you have seen him play in yeah, the B team. That was it. That's yeah. that's the reality. And I'm not you can't apologise for that, like for us <laughs> having slight reservations over that. But again, it's still quite a small sample size. Let's just hope it continues to confound our own expectations. Yeah, yeah. And then up front, Lewis O'Brien playing as a as a centre forward. Obviously, he was there mostly for what he was going to do off the ball. Danielson Arnie's done that role before when they played four four two, and Danny Ward was was alongside him. And again, both of them excellent. Danny Ward deserved his goal. Just really good again um, from the pair of them. Obviously, O'Brien was dropping into midfield a lot when Town did get into the Fulham half, but uh, on the ball. But the pair of them just didn't give Fulham any any thinking time whatsoever on the ball no i i think what was what was really good for me i mean i tweeted about it and i spoke to you about it i danny ward for me put in essentially a perfect 90 minutes now some people will slightly raise an eyebrow at that but that for me was his best performance of the season and this season he scored a hat trick at reading (laughs) and what i mean by that is Playing that system, Danny Ward gave the absolute perfect example of what you would want a striker to do, which is, A, he got his goal, he took his chance, which was great, but B, the way he pressed and harried, the way he stopped Fulham comfortably playing the ball into their midfielders, all of their midfielders can hurt you with their passing. Yeah. So we, we've talked endlessly about Ward's work rate, but what he did this time was it wasn't just a sort of chase and harry and, and you know really pressure the defender on the ball. What he did was he actually dropped back and and covered the midfielder to stop that ball and to get Fulham having to play balls they weren't comfortable with instead of playing it into Kearney and Wilson, etc. so that they could turn, see the whole pitch, pick out where they wanted to. It was just such a clever, 
hard-working, intense, you know, 86 minutes from him. It was... I, I, I was genuinely sitting there watching him in, in awe. I thought it was... At, at that level, as I said, I think it was just a near-perfect example of how to play away from home in that system and do the job the manager wants you to. I tweeted it and I said to you, it's it's 86 minutes that any manager in that league looks at and goes, right, OK, there's my starting striker for the next 10 games. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless yeah. of what happens in those 10, that's my starting striker for the next 10. I, yeah. I just... I thought he was genuinely brilliant. And it goes a little, weirdly, it goes a little bit under the radar because the defensive performance was so magnificent. Across but he, board, was, yeah. he was just so good. And Marco Silva had made quite a point of, of uh, pre-game talking about Danny Ward and the work he does and how... You know he he was so dangerous and he was Towns he was basically Towns striker slash first midfielder slash even defensive midfielder at times and it it really was an example of that. Yeah, the the one the I think you're right. The one error he did make was the the marking on the goal. He he let Deco Dover Reed was was his man when the ball came back out and Williams put it back in. But come on, he's a he's a striker, <laughs> so I think we can and forgive not only him. That, not only that, he's not expecting the ball to come into no, the area from it comes, that shot. No William, one was. <laughs> Will, Williams, basically, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a oh, pass. it was but awful. It, but was it a shot? Yeah. Was it a shot? Yeah, it was a shot. It was right, awful, yeah. So, like, no I'm, like no professional footballer is expecting another professional football to get it that, that wrong, if I'm brutally honest. So right. I, 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 even gave I don't him, blame him for that. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt that he that that was what he intended to do, but it does make more sense if that was meant to be a shot because one he tried that about fifty times in the game and the Fulham fans behind me were going mad, uh, but but also he hit it so hard it was I'd never seen a cross like it really because he well yeah no I hadn't uh, so yeah okay that makes more sense and yeah it gets Ward off the hook even more I think. I mean, it was one of those rare games where that late goal really didn't <laughs> ruin anything in terms of... I mean, it, it, I, I'll be honest, I felt a bit sick the, <laughs> after it went in it was, and then there was six minutes on the on the board. But um, it was, you know, set up a very tense finish. But in terms of how you judge the performance, I don't think that the fact that Fulham got the goal really made a blind bit of difference because that team can can you know you don't expect to keep a clean sheet against Fulham so the fact that they'd scored two and put themselves two goals up is is really and managed to resist them for as long as they did up to to 82 minutes is nothing but impressive really yeah we've we've said on the podcast that there are the real top teams in this league you can't expect to score once and beat them and yeah that's one thing that town have really struggled with when they've come up against really good teams who've really gone out and you know coventry etc etc um so to get to be two nil up at half time i think was was massive absolutely massive i think psychologically it gave them a huge platform and yeah i like i was a bit opposite to you i was su- surprisingly relaxed because it just I don't know, it just felt like Town's Day, really. I mean, we should probably talk about the late penalty shout as, as well, really. We should probably mention it. that The Russell handball. Again, yeah, I mean, again, it's probably one that VAR gives, but you don't you don't give live. It just felt like Town's Day to me. Just felt that... Yeah. And I said it before, you earn that, you earn that luck sometimes. You know, you, yeah. you, that that's the things that goes for you when you're on a 14 game unbeaten run. <laughs> if you've yeah. not won in 14 games, they don't. It's that's just how football works. 
Yeah, I even with the Russell handball, I mean, it was. I think you could make an argument he's in a fairly natural position. He's not got his arm. It wasn't like Tom Lee's where his arm was out at ninety degrees. It was, it was you know towards his waist. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean Marco Silva was absolutely spitting bullets, and I don't mind saying I just sat and smoked at him throughout his entire press conference. As he, as he, it was remarkable. He went. It was basically the entire eight-minute press conference was a rant against the referees. It was. It was incredible, but. Um, no, it was uh, really, really good from town. And this was in the post, wasn't it, from from the Sheffield United game where they were really unlucky to, to come away with a draw. I think you, you can't really... It's very hard to fault Huddersfield Town at the moment on, on almost anything. Yeah, I'd, absolutely. It's Look, they're 15 games unbeaten. There's been, there's been too many draws in there to say it's yeah. like a dominant promotion definite run or anything like that but like everything is is going really really well but there's a different type of pressure now I would say Mm. um, because Huddersfield Town after that result they're now Claude Makalele they they they're so underrated and not talked about and everybody says that so much that by definition they now become rated and very much talked about and Mm. you know they were picked out on all the tv shows at the weekend they were being talked about on all the radio shows they're being talked about on all the podcasts now and that brings a different type of pressure they're Mm. they're, (laughs) you can't go to fulham's place and beat them 2-1 with a display like that and still stay under the radar so yeah yeah, it's an interesting the next four to five games are key really because if they can that slight shift of emphasis and that slight shift of circumstance if they can adjust themselves accordingly um then yeah you know it's 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 very much on um it's it's a key part of the season and i think again i don't want to repeat something i said on extra time but i think the other real important thing is that they've beaten a team there who have got to play literally everybody who's around them. Fulham have got yeah. Sheffield United, Middlesbrough. They, they've got basically everybody in the top sort of nine you have to play. And they're not all going to beat Fulham. So they've they've gained three points, essentially, on all of those teams around them. They've, they've got to, you know, double down now. And they've they've got to prove it's that was that was what they, <laughs> you know, that their their intentions this season are serious and proper. This is it. And you look at the league table and you look at the games coming up and you think, oh, they've got three of the the bottom seven, so they should win all of those games. I think Cardiff is a harder game than that. that yeah. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're. They're, you know, when you look at their recent form, I think it's four of the last six they've won in the league, Cardiff, and they gave Liverpool a go as well in the FA Cup not too long ago mm. before getting sort of blown away late on. So, and obviously Town haven't beaten Cardiff since 2003. So I think mm. regardless of, of any any form considerations, I think if you look at three winnable games coming up, coming up you think, right, we'll try and win two of them then. Because realistically, <laughs> we, we know that if you... That, three wins out of three from three games you think you should win almost never happens so for me yeah and they the other thing is like they're 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 a scout now so they're gonna be playing three teams who are gonna sit back themselves and they're gonna be really tight and they're gonna try and give absolutely nothing away again that's that's now a different change of circumstance for them and 
you know, the, these three fixtures, Cardiff, Birmingham, Peterborough Town have taken two points off those three teams so far this season. Yeah. So, so it's not as easy as it looks on paper, but I think I would still be saying, look, target seven points, but if you get six, that's good. They need they need to keep going at five points a game. Uh, sorry, five points a game would be good, to be fair. <laughs> Five points every three games uh, is is about their run rate at the moment, and doing that would would probably would get them into the playoffs almost certainly, or or most years it would do anyway. So, you know, five out of the next three isn't bad, but I think when you've got one of the relegation contenders in there in, in Peterborough and Birmingham aren't great at the moment, I think you've got to aim for for two wins out of three. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know, like I've just used the words proper and serious and if 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 they if they're going to be a proper and serious club about potentially finishing in the playoffs you have to look at the Reese Brown derby and you have to target that for a win <laughs> and you know Cardiff is a different proposition you're exactly right um I think Cardiff are a little bit like Swansea in that they they, they have not yes yeah and that's it that's it <laughs> um but they are a they're a bit of a different prospect without Kiefer Moore as well. Um, that's a huge huge blow for them to to lose Kiefer Moore. So yeah, but I, the targets are shifting, you know, and they're getting harder, and they need to respond to that. But I also think that it's worth saying yet again. I think they're four points off equaling their highest points total in the last decade, barring the promotion season. So they're all but guaranteed to. To have their, you know, their best season barring the promotion season in in over a decade or more, um, they're gonna finish higher up the table than they have barring the promotion season in in God knows how long. The, the progress this season it's difficult because of the targets and the 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 things they're doing to not to be like. <laughs> I don't want to say the words definitely they have to be in the playoffs now because I don't I don't think they do but I think the pres- the, the the sort of the progress now is is mm. absolutely superb and no one can no one can argue can they No I mean this really felt like a big big result in terms of the fans mentality this felt like a bit of a turning point where yeah. people went from oh maybe we've got a chance of the playoffs to oh I think this is our this this is our year now and and everyone yeah i've never seen in my th- sort of three years at the examiner i've not seen a happier fan base than i've seen over this weekend even some of the sort of the familiar names on twitter who uh who are normally have nothing but bad things to say are coming out and praising carlos Gorbrand, praising danny ward saying everything's looking great and you would have to be really really miserable to be unhappy as a, as a town fan as it stands at the moment it's not going to last forever as we know yeah. you know these these runs are there to be broken and so on and as you say there is i think you're absolutely right that result will have been yeah. eye-catching there's a different pressure on them now but you know yeah. we'll, we'll, t- we'll I will, go on I, I will just say i will just say one thing i just want to call somebody an absolute miserable sod and that was somebody said to me ah oh, uh, this is after the Fulham game. They said, oh, I, you know, really, really happy, but you just look forward to the summer and you think we've got to replace Colwell. We might have to replace Thomas. We could have to start thinking about Hoggy's re- replace. You miserable sod. <laughs> just enjoy the moment and where you are right now. Like, worry about the summer in the summer, you know? It's, it's not time right now. Do you want to name them? No, I don't, because I don't. <laughs> I don't want to even bring that little slither of joy into their life. <laughs> no, fair enough. But I mean, 
It's not to say they're invincible. As I say, they're going to lose no. at some point, and we'll talk about that at the time. But as it stands, I mean, huge credit to, to Carlos Corbran as well, who we've not even really talked about, but tactically, yeah. absolutely. You know, we've talked about all those changes of shape. We've talked about Turton dropping in as, into a back three. We've talked about Hogg dropping into a back three. We've talk, talked about four four two and three four three. These are all decisions he makes game by game. And over this sort of, certainly out of, you know, the lion's share of these 15 games on this run, at least. He's absolutely nailed it tactically. This is just the latest example. And, mm. you know, you and I were sceptical of Carlos Gorbran and have been sceptical of Carlos Gorbran and had expressed our doubts. But, you know, he's... he's <laughs> Either we've really underestimated him or he's learned or, or probably a little bit of both, I think. he's The decisions he's making at the moment all just seem to be paying off. Yeah, absolutely. I like... I don't think anything we said at the time was wrong. This is the thing. And that's not me like getting me back up or anything like that. I, I do think he's been on a huge learning curve. I, th- I think he's, you can see the progress. You can see the, the difference. You can see, you know, how long did we moan that the changes he was making from the bench weren't having any real effect. You, you can't level any of that sort of criticism at, at the moment. The changing from game to game, that the, you know, ability and the, the desire to change the team when it needs changing as well you know make big decisions it's it he it feels like we're looking at a different manager than we were this time last year i can tell you that for nothing um because this time last year me and you publicly and privately were tearing our hair out um <laughs> at, at that side and yeah you know it's the the there are lots i think there are lots of reasons behind it and i i know some people have certain opinions about certain things but I also think that you you do have to say a lot of this is just the fact he's just working with a much better squad much better players you know he's he's got he's genuinely got two players and in some cases three for every position in every formation and every system he wants to use and that's that's well, massive town had seven players ill or injured first team players ill or injured at the weekend and we're not even talking about it two of them are goalkeepers like but even still uh, you know it's you know no Tino Andrian no Levi Colwell no Pippa Caroline didn't get off the bench you know it's 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 absolute chalk and cheese but you've got to get the most out of those players and when I wrote that Turton piece this was sort of the thrust of my Turton piece is he's getting more this you know it's not been perfect Meepo didn't work out. Rolando Warrens couldn't get in the team. Josh Chrome has gone backwards. We talked about Toffolo. So it's, you know, it's not absolutely 100% perfect across the board, but th- that is an unreal- unrealistic expectation. There's a much longer list of players who are exceeding any expectations we had of them. John Russell we talked about. Sorba Thomas. Danny Ward, you and I are both feeling a bit smug about because he's just doing what we thought he would. But no, <laughs> even then he's sort of off the ball is, is exceeding what we thought he would. Dwayne Holmes, compared with where he was a few months ago start the season just just got better and better you know there's almost across the board you look at what you think each player's ceiling in is and they're either reaching that or exceeding it and you, mm. that's credit to the players it's credit to the recruitment team that found him and it's a credit to Carlos Gorran and the, the work they're doing on the training yeah. ground I, yeah and I I think the other side to this with when we're talking about Carlos Gorran is very intense manager he loves the minutiae he loves the the finer detail and the thing is, when you are like that, when you have 
a squad you trust and you have better players, you can make these more subtle changes and, you know, really go in depth with the tactical stuff and mm. make no bones, bones about it. That's where his, his heart lies. Me, at least one of, we've letting a slight rabbit out of the bag here, but, you know, we've both learned in press conferences to get a tactical, technical question in early because... You know, Corbin loves answering them, and it, that's what gets him excited. Opens, yeah, yeah, he opens up a little bit after that, and that's we've both both learnt that. We were talking about that this week. So when he, when you have, he, he's basically he's got a squad that plays to his strengths now, so he can have like an Ollie Turton who comes in and does a really specific thing for ninety minutes, and a you know a Harry Toffolo who he can give a little bit more license, but still plays the exact way he wants them to play, and he's got Danny Ward who, like I say. Was, was dropping back to cover that midfielder to stop the out ball there and these are all the little things and the little tweaks that he can he can set out in his game plan now and it's making the world a difference yeah good stuff i mean whew, that's the, have we had a more positive hour of podcast at any point dave <laughs> we've had almost no bad things to say about anyone at this this point but that's where they are well isn't there it? isn't yeah there isn't <laughs> there's not like i say you'd you'd if you're not enjoying this right now, then like arguably football isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right, Dave, thank you for joining us as always. Cardiff coming up on Wednesday and Birmingham on Saturday. Obviously the, the Cardiff game it's a fiver a ticket and it's I believe it's half term at the moment. So if you fancy getting down, it should be a great atmosphere. They've opened up the, the lower tier of the fantastic media stand as well. So I think there's a real I mean, I've even seen <laughs> I've even seen fans tweeting saying, oh, let's all turn up on Wednesday and get behind the team and make it the best atmosphere yet. Doing the club's marketing work for them, as are we at the moment. So, yeah, we'll see you next time on to be a Terrier, Dave, and the listeners. Goodbye. Goodbye. Cut to Huddersfield Town nil, Cardiff City three. <laughs>